We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Mazda lineup of SUVs will provide safety, performance, and capability on your journey ahead. From the three-row Mazda CX-9 to the first-ever Mazda CX-50, our sales team is ready to guide you to the SUV for your lifestyle. Shop the Omaha Metro's exclusive Mazda dealers at Woodhouse Mazda in Bellevue or Woodhouse Place Mazda. Visit us online for your next Mazda SUV at woodhousemazda.com. Hello and welcome to the week 11 expert quote-unquote roundtable quote-unquote. My name is Adam Levitan, father of a very special lady, Jerry, the most beautiful beast in the world. And as always, I am joined by the sharpest hippie in DFS. He is not in his uh, wilderness bunker. I believe he's still at home. JM, what's going on? Not much, man. It always makes me smile when you talk about Jerry. Uh, hopefully she makes an appearance later. Um so Adam didn't notice the mustache when we logged on, but uh, heading, to, heading to Nashville solo this weekend, married man heading to Nashville, bachelorette party capital of the world. So I figured I should make myself as ugly as possible for uh, 
out of respect for my wife and my single buddies. So you guys come party with me this weekend. Uh, all women will avoid me and hopefully just be filtered over to you. Uh, that's yeah. the plan. You look like you're going to find some like 10 year old boys, not, not women with that. Much. You know what I <laughs> I'm mean? I'm trying to get a uh, guest appearance on Warren Sharp's show is what I'm going for. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i am not going to nashville uh couldn't make it happen but shout out to everybody down there hope everybody has a really good time stay safe uh drink responsibly we all know the devil's juice uh can get the best of everybody um anything else on nashville before uh, we get into it here jam no let's get started this is one of the weirder slates I've seen in a long time. We have 22 quarterbacks, 12 of them I think are hashtag bad in real life. Doesn't mean they're bad in fantasy, but 12 of them are hashtag bad in real life. We have a situation where the most expensive wide receiver on the slate is only 7,900. We have a situation where the most expensive running back on the slate is only 8,400. We have one quarterback over 6,800. Uh, it is a weird, weird main slate on DraftKings, partially because or mostly, I guess, because uh, the Thursday, Sunday night, Monday night games are so good uh, this week, and those obviously aren't in the main slate. So just a weird slate, I think, and people uh, probably have lower scores than they normally anticipate. Um, JM, what do you think about this slate as a whole? Yeah, I think this is uh, – we're going to start running into this too with, with you know, networks able to flex games into the Sunday night spot, Monday night spot. And those games no longer on the main slate for DraftKings. We'll run into some weeks like this. I really like it. Uh, you know, we talked last week about pricing not being as ridiculously tight. I actually ended up with 600 left over on my uh, main team and still had a, a team I liked. was able to finish top 5% in, in cash games and tournaments, leaving 600 on the table, which is unusual on DraftKings. I think this is another week you can do that. Uh, I kind of like it. We talked a little bit before the show about, um, in my mind, Bruce Ellington and Jameson Crowder are both this week's version of Sterling Shepard. But I think because value is sort of easy to come by, most people will think they should choose between the two or maybe not even use either. So I love it. I mean, I think we can get both guys without super high ownership. I think that opens up a ton. I'm pretty excited for this week. All right, let's get into it. As a reminder, we are talking uh, DraftKings pricing, DraftKings scoring on this show. And one thing we actually, you know, we haven't really mentioned that uh, this whole time, I realize, and as the host, I take full responsibility, but uh, we've been talking exclusively DraftKings on here. It's so, so different uh, if you're playing on FanDuel. Like, it's been so crazy how different it's been this year in terms of pricing structure, in terms of, like, overall strategies. So just to be clear, we are referring to only DraftKings scoring, DraftKings roster construction, DraftKings pricing uh, at the quarterback position. Uh, I am not sure you have to pay down. If you are paying down in the below 5,500 range, my favorite play is Ryan Fitzpatrick. I was not at all on Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, last week at all. No Mike Evans in a reasonably difficult matchup or a fair at best matchup with the Jets, but now he gets Mike Evans back and he gets to face this Miami defense, which is just, I mean, absolutely dreadful, particularly in the secondary, particularly at the cornerback position. Um, so if I'm paying down, I'm not sure I'm going to end up doing it. But if I'm paying down, going back to Fitz after he was, he was like the second most owned quarterback in the Wildcat last week. He was almost the highest owned quarterback uh, in the Wildcat. So maybe that'll keep some people off him. Uh, I like him. What do you think about Fitz and anybody else in the sub 5,500 range? Yeah, I think I think that just because of how highly owned last week, uh, he was, and the fact that he didn't do anything major, 
uh, ownership is going to be pretty low on him in this spot. Um, I think that, like you said, he gets Mike Evans back. The matchup is uh, excellent this week. I think it's a great week to go to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, in that same price range, we have Blake Bortles and uh, Blaine Gabbert. So I, I like Gabbert a little bit more. Uh, hopefully, Hefe is watching in solidarity with that call. Uh, we won't spend five minutes on Gabbert like we have in the past, but the Texans are still really good against the run, even though they've struggled against the pass. Um, and Gabbert can pick up 30, 40 yards on the ground. Um, he has good weapons to throw to. Uh, I just think that this is a good spot to go to Gabbert. Uh, Bortles, you know, in that spot, it's really just that the Browns are a funnel defense. They're so good against the run that, uh, we're going to see the Jaguars throw the ball 30 to 35 times. I think the Bortles is going to put up a good score as well. I think especially in tournaments where he's going to draw lower ownership, he's a, an excellent play down in that price range. Uh, yeah, two things on Bortles. First, we have weather uh, to monitor there. I, I, we never like to think about weather really this early, but it does look a little hairy in Cleveland for Sunday. And also Leonard Fournette, uh, if he plays, uh, he might be limited with his ankle, which could lead to more. TJL didn't lead to more passing anyways, which should be the Jaguars game plan uh, regardless. But I do think that Fitz is safer than both those guys. Uh, Gabbard, to me, uh, underrated athleticism, as JM mentioned. Like, this dude uh, is not afraid to tuck and run. I know he gets, like, a horrible rap. And and I think, like, you know, like Gabbard uh, has looked scared in the pocket, I think, at times. And it's really, like, hurt him. But it's not that bad in fantasy when he's kind of uh, giving up and running the football. So. Uh, definitely don't hate that. Um, anything else in the sub 6K range uh, that you like? I think it's a little bit thinner than usual down there. Yeah, I mean, there's guys that that we can make like a, a large field tournament case for. Um, I think that Case Keenum, we can always make a large field tournament case for. I think that Eli playing, you know, catch up football against the Chiefs, we can make a case for. But none of these are good on paper plays. It's like guys who could get you 25 to 30 points and will be low on. So in tournaments, I think that there's like large field tournaments. There's a case for kind of digging, digging around down there. Uh, I also think it's notable that like if the season ended today, the bills are in the playoffs, right? So this, this benching of Tyrod Taylor that nobody saw coming. I mean, we haven't seen Peterman on the field, but the bills must think that he gives them a better chance to win. So I think that that's notable as well. Um, I won't be going there, but I think in large field tournaments, there's a chance he could post a good game. I'll, I'll definitely at least be keeping an eye on him this week um, just to see how he looks on the field. Yeah. Um, didn't mention Phillip Rivers in there. I know the matchup is difficult. Uh, EJ Gaines will be back for the Bills, which is a concern. But uh, Phillip Rivers has a lot of weapons these days. I mean, serious, serious weapons with Mike Williams playing, with Austin Eckler playing well in the past game. Um Philip Rivers is always a candidate for 300 yards and multiple touchdowns. I know the matchup is difficult. Did you look at him at all? Uh, no, and I think that's noteworthy just because I, I do think that people will kind of overlook Rivers. I mean, the, the Bills run the ball at a uh, top five rate in the NFL, but they're also top five in, in pace of play and opponent plays per game. So, uh, yeah, we should see plenty of opportunities for Philip Rivers. Uh, you know, the Chargers are going to throw the ball – even though this Bills defense is better attacked on the ground, I think that's a really sharp call right there. Definitely one that I was not uh, zoning in on as much as I should have. All right. Two of the most popular plays of the quarterback position, I think will be in the 6K range in Alex Smith and Drew Brees. Uh, I think you can make a pretty good case 
that Alex Smith has the significantly better matchup. He is uh, on the road. Do you have a strong feeling on Alex Smith versus Drew Brees? I would much rather play Alex Smith. And it's it has nothing to do with talent or offense or even matchup. It's just the Saints have have run the ball or have thrown the ball under 30 times. I believe it's four of their last five games. And I know that's with the lead and all that, but this is, you know, they're expected to have a lead again in this spot. I just I don't want to take that risk. In in tournaments, it's fine, but like what if Breeze draws 10 or 12% ownership? I'd rather bank on him throwing the ball 28 times again as opposed to chasing those points so the question for me on breeze is do you think that Kirk Cousins can play well because that's really all it is like the Saints have played such good defense and run the ball so well that breeze's volume has been at like career low levels so if you think the Redskins can go down there and play well which is difficult to do but we did see the Redskins offense go go to Seattle and play well a couple weeks ago so it's certainly a possibility uh my first instinct was Breeze over Alex Smith, probably because I'm so inherently biased against Alex Smith, but he's certainly been a different quarterback this year. I do think Alex Smith will be uh, very, very popular on DraftKings. He saves you 700 on a guy we will get to uh, in a second here. Anything else in the 6K range? I saw some people talking about Derek Carr uh, down in Mexico City. Uh, do you have any interest there? I don't have interest in Derek Carr, and I'm hoping he draws – 10 or 12% ownership. He could obviously post a good game, but we look at the scores that the Patriots have allowed lately. They've moved to uh, 14th in the NFL in scoring in spite of still being at the bottom of the league in yards allowed. It's always been a bend, but don't break defense. Um, basically the way the Patriots play is they say, we think that we're more disciplined than you and we're going to force you to march all the way down the field without making mistakes. Um, on my Monday night podcast this week, Grant Niefer also brought up that the Raiders have forced the fewest turnovers in football and the Patriots have turned the ball over the second fewest time. So again, not going to be short fields for the Raiders more than likely. So they're going to have to go the whole field. I think Carr gets yards, but I'm concerned about, you know, the Raiders actually reaching their Vegas implied total this week. Um, Another thing on Alex Smith that, you know, we'll talk about Tyreek Hill in a bit, but so like Tyreek Hill's a dot is kind of middling, you know, like he looks like a guy who's usually throwing two 10 or 12 yards downfield but if you actually look at where he's thrown to, it's usually 20 yards downfield or within like five yards of the line mm-hmm. of scrimmage. Uh, so it averages out to make him look like just a normal wide receiver, but they just want to get the ball, like throw him two deep shots a game and then get the ball in his hands. Like against his Giants defense that has given up, I think this is a good spot for Tyree Kill to blow by the defense for a long touchdown, catch a short pass and take it to the house. I, I think that elevates Al- Alex Smith's expectations just because of how lackadaisical this Giants defense has been Mm -hmm. agreed okay I I think uh well maybe we wouldn't but I would say that by a pretty wide margin Tom Brady has the highest raw expectation on the slate uh do you agree with that number one um and number two is it worth uh, spending an extra 700 to get from Alex Smith slash Drew Brees slash Carr that range in there to get to Tom Brady uh my argument would be that it's only 700 only on a slate where we probably 700 does not mean as much. And I mean, this Raiders pass defense, like probably no David Amerson again, which whatever, but they're just so, so, so bad. Pass rush is so bad. It's just sets up so well for Tom Brady. Um, What do you think? Yeah. The tougher thing for me will be to convince myself to play Alex Smith um, as in saying, Hey, maybe Alex Smith actually puts up more points. 
because uh, Brady, like you said, the salary is like if I can fit in Ellington and, and Crowder, it just opens up so much in salary that it's easy to fit in Brady. So for me, it would be more like um, convincing myself, okay, it's okay. To, it's like last week when um, I used Robert Woods over Antonio Brown. And what I mean by that is I could have taken the savings at tight end, the savings at defense, um, savings at, at cheap wide receiver and made it up to Antonio Brown. So it's like when salary is this available, you want to get to that top guy. So you got to say, what's like, what's the best block of plays? So I think that maybe there's some blocks of plays where Alex Smith fits in better as a, as like a total block. But I think that the actual expectations put Brady at the top. It'll be hard to not use him in, in cash if I'm paying up and in tournaments, it'd be hard on a main team to be like, yeah, I'm going to take Alex Smith over Tom Brady when I can easily fit Brady. I think there's a case to be made for it, but Brady is the best on paper play and salary is loose enough that you can fit him. Uh, Anything off the board at quarterback? I'm sure there is, but like what Gabbert's off the board enough for me, you know, like I I think I'm going to be essentially on one of five quarterbacks, those three cheap guys or Brady or Alex Smith. Yeah. I think for me, Phillip Rivers and Ryan Fitzpatrick would be uh, about as far off the board as I would go. Let's move to running back where I expect um, a very popular cheap running back um, on the Patriots. And, and that's going to scare a lot of people because we have seen game to uh, week to week game plan, very specific usage for running backs uh, throughout the Patriots um, kind of reign of dominance here. However, Rex Burkhead played such a good game last week, was so valuable, used in so many different ways, has such a good matchup uh, against a Raiders team, which uh, bleeds catches to the running back position. Uh, you are a Patriots guy. Do you have concerns at all that Rex Burkhead will not have the same role as he had last week when he severely outsnapped Deion Lewis and James White and Mike Gillis? The Mazda lineup of SUVs will provide safety, performance, and capability on your journey ahead. From the three-row Mazda CX-9 to the first-ever Mazda CX-50, our sales team is ready to guide you to the SUV for your lifestyle. Shop the Omaha Metro's exclusive Mazda dealers at Woodhouse Mazda in Bellevue or Woodhouse Place Mazda. Visit us online for your next Mazda SUV at woodhousemazda.com. It was a healthy scratch. Yeah, I have enormous concerns about that. Actually, I fully expect Mike Gillisley to be active this week. Okay. We won't know that till an hour and a half before kickoff. Um, I think it was completely game plan specific last week. They were not going to try to test that Broncos run defense. They wanted to throw on their linebackers and safeties over and over again. Uh, it made sense to not have Gillisley active, use that roster spot somewhere else. Um, so that's not to say that, like, will it surprise me if, if Burkhead sees 35 snaps? Not at all. Will it surprise me if he sees 10 or 12 snaps? Not at all. Like, I think that his range is way broader than people are giving it credit for. Uh, I prefer Dion Lewis over Rex Burkhead right now because he's been locked into those carries between the 20s. He has nine carries inside the 10-yard line this year. Uh, he hasn't shown up with with carries inside the five, but that's largely because he scored three touchdowns from inside the 10. Like, I think Deion Lewis is locked into his workload more than Burkhead is. I'm fine with both plays, but I see Burkhead more as a tournament play myself than a cash yeah. play. Uh, okay. Uh, let me give the other side here. Deion Lewis has not been using the pass game at all lately. Um, Rex Burkhead had a carry on fourth and one 
Rex Burkhead had a carry at the goal line last week. Um, they lined him up and ran slants. They ran screens to him. Um, I hope that Mike Gillisley is inactive. I'd feel way better about Rex Burkhead. Um, as you said, we probably won't know that until an hour and a half before the game. I've seen some like real loose beat writer speculation that Gillespie will be inactive again, but that's really hard to say. I mean, the problem is that uh, they want to get Martellus Bennett active, right? So it's like they need a roster spot. They also lost uh, their starting center uh, due to an illness, so they might need an extra offensive lineman up. We'll see what happens there. Um, hopefully we get some news whether Gillespie is going to be active or inactive. Um, at 3,600, though, I feel like it's hard for Burkhead to truly fail, and I definitely prefer him to Deion Lewis just for the pass-catching role. But I know there's different opinions out there. It's hard to predict Patriots stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I guess I thought Burkhead was more of a slam dunk than than what you think. Yeah, and to be clear, I like Burkhead, and maybe I'll end up with him on my my main team, which would be in cash games and tournaments. I just think that he's a higher variance play than people are giving him credit for. Uh, again, it won't surprise me if he scores 15 to 20 this week, but it also won't surprise me if he scores like three or four points. Um, so I'm I'm a little more wary on him than I guess most people are. Okay, I think there's one other running back play below 5K we should talk about. I think we both like him. Uh, I am concerned to use Doug Martin in cash because his pass game role is so weak, but this is an amazing matchup for a guy who can project for 20 touches, who uh, costs just 4,500. So how safe do you feel with Doug Martin's floor in this spot against the Dolphins? I think Doug Martin is – in my game-by-game game breakdown, I basically said Doug Martin is Bilal Powell this week, which um, I don't mean like the actual score Powell put up. I just mean what everyone was excited about last week. Um, so as we saw with Powell, that can lead to an absolute dud. But last week we made an educated guess that Powell would would see 15 carries and four or five targets, right? Doug Martin has consistently gotten 20 carries and two to three targets. So the usage is, is basically what we were projecting for Powell last week um, in a really great matchup. And we're going to see super low ownership, I would imagine, on Doug Martin. So I think that Doug Martin is, is an excellent play in tournaments. If, if he were going to be like 40% owned in cash, he's a guy that I would automatically use. And what I mean by that is, like if we're playing that ownership game of saying I'm on the fence about this guy, but I think he can put up 20 points and tons of rosters are going to have him. I would lean toward him. I'm still kind of iffy on him in cash just because we've seen he can put up six or seven points, you know, disappoint in a big way. But I do think he's an excellent play that the Dolphins run defense has been horrible lately. So I, I like Doug Martin quite a bit. I'm on the fence about how safe I feel with him and how willing I am to go there at, at super low ownership in cash games. But I do think Doug Martin's a great on-paper play. Yeah. My biggest concern, I guess, is lack of pass game involvement. You mentioned two to three targets. And also, I mean, he's been so bad from a yards per carry perspective, like to the point where I'm like, God, when are they just going to bench this guy? You know, like he's just been so inept for the last uh, year and a half or whatever, but they keep giving him volume. Um, anybody else under 5K at the running back position? Yeah, I mean, I think Duke Johnson's in – the conversation. I think Isaiah Crowell is in the conversation. Orleans Dark was in the conversation. Uh, Jamal Williams is in the conversation, but I don't think any of these guys are, are slam dunk plays. I think they're all, um, you know, guys to consider in tournaments, but not guys that I feel locked in on. Uh, in the mid range, I think there's only one running back that's going to garner ownership and it won't even be that much, maybe, you know, 10 to 15%. And that's Chris Thompson uh, with Rob Kelly out in the previous two games. Rob Kelly was out. We did see a spike 
in carries because Samaje P. Ryan, I don't think the Redskins trust him very much. And at this point, you know, the Redskins are four and five. Like, it's now or never. Like, the, the coddling of Chris Thompson, uh, what's the point? You know, like, they're afraid he's going to get hurt. Well, you're going to be out of the playoffs anyway, so you might as well use him. Um, the Saints are have been uh, funneling um, targets to running backs all season. Um, I think this is a really good spot for Chris Thompson. I have uh, volume concerns as always, like we talk about on here with Chris Thompson, but this should be a spot where they really use him a ton. It's kind of a perfect puzzle. Uh, what do you think about Chris Thompson? And quite frankly, I don't really see anybody else in the 5K, 6K range that I like. Yeah, so Thompson, has three of his last five games, he has 45 snaps. And in those games, he's seen 12 to 20 touches. So I, I think that that's reasonable. I think 45 snaps is reasonable. I think 12 to 20 touches is reasonable. Um, I, I agree with everything you said. We're basically, if you roster him, you're relying on Jay Gruden taking his head out of his Gruden and actually doing something with Chris Thompson in this spot. Uh, with that said, I think Thompson's an excellent play. You've got uh, no Jordan Reed and a, a Saints defense that has allowed the fewest tight end catches in the NFL. You have two uh, Terrell Priors out for whatever that's worth. You have two unreliable targets in, in Doxon and Grant on the outside against two really good corners. So that literally leaves you with Crowder and Chris Thompson to throw to. The Redskins should be trailing. I mean, I think that it's a great spot for Thompson. Uh, yeah, volume concerns, obviously. I think he's priced well. I think he's a great play. Um, I'm kind of toying around with whether or not to use him on a main team, but he's definitely in, in the conversation for me in that price. Yeah, I think if you're playing Crowder, how do you feel about playing both Crowder and Chris Thompson on the same team? I'm totally fine with it. I mean, like, what's the risk? If if the Redskins take a lead, P. Ryan still can't run the ball. Um, and almost certainly the Saints have a lead or make this game competitive. And the Redskins have to throw the ball 35 times. And, the, I mean, those are the two guys most of the targets are going to. So I'm totally fine with both on the same team. Right. So my only concern on the same team is let's say the Redskins just go down there and get whitewashed like the Bills did. Like they score like seven points or 10 points the whole game. Then you have two guys on this team that just got absolutely like brutalized down there. Um, that's the only concern. Obviously, that's a, a low probability that's going to happen. But if that happens and you're stuck holding Crowder and Chris Thompson, you're not going to be happy. Um, anything else in that five to six K range? No, nothing that I actually like. Yeah, and I think that's going to drive ownership up now that I think about it on Chris Thompson because there's really not that much in that 5 to 6K range at running back. Um, in the 7K range, however, 7 to 8K, there is a lot to talk about. There is – well, let's first talk about the guy who I expect to be the most owned uh, running back. I expect Kareem Hunt to be the most owned running back, likely the most owned player uh, outside of Travis Kelsey. On this slate, is Kareem Hunt good chalk or bad chalk? Good chalk. Uh, with Andy, with an Andy Reid offense in tournaments, I think you can always make a case for fading a running back just because of the weird usage that we end up seeing. But Hunt has 18 to 32 touches in every win this year. Uh, and, you know, the chance of the Giants smashing the Chiefs in this spot, even at home, are pretty slim. So, I think we can rely on 18 to 32 touches. I think on paper, Hunt is the best play, has the highest expectation. He's a guy you want in cash games. Um, he's a guy that I want in tournaments. But you can definitely make a, a – like you can create paths to a bad game for Hunt just because of Andy Reid. Uh, but I think coming off the bye, 
And against this bad Giants defense, I just think it's a great spot for Kareem Hunt. He's definitely a guy that uh, I'm very interested in this week. Best run-stuffing tackle in the NFL, Damon Snacks Harrison, uh, was limited in practice um, this week and is questionable. Uh, Seems somewhat likely to play, but still could see reduced snaps. So that's another kind of feather in the cap of Kareem Hunt. Agree with you that he is the best play in this range. What about Mark Ingram, Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley, LaShawn McCoy, uh, Alvin Kamara? Uh, These are all kind of more expensive running back plays that I think will garner uh, some ownership behind uh, Kareem Hunt. All right. So I'm going to just run through my thoughts, and I'm interested to hear yours on these guys. So Gurley, really bad on paper play. I think you still justify him in tournaments because the enormous usage – gives him enough upside that he could hit. So that's a total game theory play, not actually good on paper play. LaShawn McCoy have the same concerns as last week. I think these, uh, and they said last week, I think these good defenses that are bad against the run typically are bad because they're getting holes opened, not because they're bad at tackling. So when you have a guy like LaShawn McCoy who wants to dance around behind the line of scrimmage and you know find this 80-yard run every time, I don't like him as much, even in an awesome matchup. You know, everything lines up well against the Chargers. So I'll probably fade McCoy completely just because I think the chances of him putting up eight points is, is higher than most will expect. Uh, I'm open to other thoughts on that. Kamara, I mean, I can't pay this price for 10 to 12 carries and five to seven targets. I understand he's smashed every week but his floor is lower than he's shown. It won't surprise me if he puts up a good game, but I probably won't be there. Ingram, the lack of catches concerns me, so I'm not going to pay his price. I think he puts up a good game, but I don't think he's worth the roster spot for me. And then Melvin Gordon is the guy I'm most interested in. Um, The Bills gave up, let me see off the top of my head, I think it was 193 yards to the Jets running backs and like 247 to Ingram and Kamara, seven rushing touchdowns last two games. So Gordon's usage concerns me with Eckler playing well. Gordon's not good. The Chargers offensive line is not good, but um, I could see him putting up, I could see him putting up, putting up like six points or 35 points. So I like Gordon in tournaments. Yeah. Um, one thing on LaShawn McCoy, Mike Tolbert is going to miss this game. Mike Tolbert has stolen four. Uh, carries from inside the five-yard line this year. So if you think Nathan Peterman can play well, get this team into the red zone, get this team inside the five-yard line, LaShawn McCoy's touchdown expectation, uh, I think is relatively high. Um, it's scary, though, you know, with LaShawn McCoy playing guy with Nathan Peterman. I, You know, I've seen different takes on Nathan Peterman. Uh, he flashed a little bit in the preseason, but his raw numbers uh, looked really bad. Uh, he was a fifth-round pick out of pit. Um, a lot of the scouting community wasn't that high on him. So I, I really don't know what to expect whatsoever. Obviously a difficult matchup. I think a lot of people are just going to be like, I think the Bills are going to play terrible. I'm going to play the Chargers defense and I'm not going to play LaShawn McCoy uh, or anything like that. So it'll be a GPP play only for me. Uh, on Melvin Gordon, um, Austin Eckler lost that fumble. Like Austin Eckler was for sure like making his move or whatever. Then he lost that fumble, uh, which essentially cost the Chargers the game uh, last week. How much is that going to play into this week's usage? I don't know if you have a handle on that. I think you have a big leg up. But, but yeah, if we see uh, Melvin Gordon in his normal role, which is 80% of the snaps, uh, three down plus goal line, and then maybe Eckler just mixes in uh, in some other maybe two-minute situations, then Melvin Gordon is an awesome play. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's closer than, than you think between Melvin Gordon and Mark Ingram. Um, 
Mark Ingram is such a good receiver that I'm not concerned he hasn't seen targets. Like the same reason that Drew Brees' volume hasn't been up is the reason Mark Ingram hasn't seen targets. I don't think it's anything schematically. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that's that's fair. I'm like back to back games of of one target makes me concerned, especially when Kamara has still seen looks. Mm-hmm. Breeze's volume was low in the games before that as well, and Ingram was still seeing targets. So I'm just a little more concerned. I like it won't surprise me one bit if he smashes and puts up 30 points, but uh, I just think that there's a really broad range with Ingram right now that uh, I'm not excited to take on at that price tag. Um. All right. Anything else at running back we didn't hit on? No. Um, hit up the Chargers beat writers. You got all their phone numbers, right? Find out what's going on <laughs> with uh, with Melvin Gordon. Let us know. Yeah. Um, we went down that path before the, the week I played. I think I played Mark Ingram on FanDuel, like coming off the fumble week. Like some beat writers were like, no, nah, it's going to be fine. And then, you know, Alvin Kamara comes out and gets like seven of the first 10 running back touches. That's so tilted. Um, all right. Let's move to wide receiver uh it's not often i've gotten to say this this year because DraftKings has done such a good job with their pricing but we have a guy in play at stone minimum um bruce ellington has the nut matchup obviously anybody who's watched this show or really any other shows to be honest knows that patrick peterson will be on deandre hopkins leaving the volume and the efficiency to secondary targets with will fuller out that means bruce ellington who is a good athlete uh, was on South Carolina's basketball team as a point guard while he was there. Uh, is a bit undersized, is technically a slot receiver, but they talked him up so much this week that it kind of makes me think they're going to play him in two wide receiver sets, unlike Adam Humphreys last week, who I did not expect a role change for. I do expect a role change for Bruce Ellington. So uh, at 3K, he obviously doesn't need to do a ton for us, but do you think uh, Bruce Ellington with Tom Savage has 20-point upside? I do. And that with Tom Savage is the obvious disclaimer. I think that uh, it won't surprise me if he only puts up eight to 10 points, but I think that's his floor. Like I think when you take eight to 10 points at, um, at his price. So I, I think he's just a lock for me in basically all formats. Uh, I don't think that ownership is going to get out of control. I don't think we're going to see, this isn't Bilal Powell. I don't think we're going to see 80% ownership. Like, if this dude stays under 30% owned, you use him. Like if he gets up to 40, 50%, we can start talking about the game theory of fading him, but um, you're not seeing his ownership climbing that high, are you? It's just not necessary on this slate. You know, I don't think people are like that excited about playing Mike Evans or Mark Ingram. You know, they want to play some more mid-range guys. So no, I I think that um, Bruce Ellington will probably stay below 20% in something like the Millie Maker. And a lot of people just have no clue, like especially people playing the Millie Maker just have no clue who Bruce Ellington is. Yeah, so Ellington, uh, I mean, like their other option is Braxton Miller, who's also a slot receiver, and the Texans just seem to absolutely hate Miller. I mean, Miller was a college quarterback. Uh, They brought in Wes Welker partly to help Miller learn how to play slot receiver. He's still not seeing targets, even with, you know, everything else going on on this team. So I just think that, uh, like, Ellington's seen eight targets back-to-back games, and then Bill O'Brien came out and said, we need to get this guy more targets. Like, what's more targets than eight, you know? (laughs) And then you've got... Patrick Peterson on DeAndre Hopkins. So my thought is he's got an A dot of about 11, I think 11.7, playing a lot of snaps out of the slot. So that gives you some, some floor. The A dot is nice enough for some upside. Uh, Even if he catches half his targets, you know, 10 plus yards downfield, you're still looking at like four for 40 as a bad game. So I love Ellington this week. 
All right. I, I think in the 4K range, there are two guys um, that I think are kind of closer than maybe you do. But I think it's close between Jamison Crowder and uh, Jeremy Macklin. The matchup for uh, the Ravens pass game is awesome. We have seen a funnel. Uh, the, Ra- the Packers have played relatively well against the run, um, really struggling uh, against the pass and is specifically struggling against the slot receiver. And Macklin has continued to see uh, a lot of volume. So I think it's close between Macklin and Jamison Crowder. Uh, I agree with you that I slightly prefer Crowder, I think, just because the target share is so uh, condensed in Washington. But um, did you consider Macklin, and do you think it's close at all between them? Yeah, well, and before we get to that, I, I do want to mention Dontrell Inman down at 3,200. Um, if the Bears can do what they want to do, throw 15 to 20 times, he's not a play. But I think he's a good tournament pivot off Ellington because if – if the Bears have to throw 30-plus times, Inman saw eight targets last week. I think he sees a similar workload this week. Um, in that in that 4K range, yeah, so for me, I've played around with a team that has Ellington, Macklin, and Crowder, which kind of lets you get Brady, Hunt, Kelsey, Gronk, Jags defense. Like, you can do whatever you want after that. So I think all of them are viable. My concern is we can basically bank on the Redskins having to throw as they catch up. And then they have really two guys that they can viably throw to with Crowder being one of them. Um, I think there's a strong chance that the Ravens defense just destroys Brett Hundley. I know he played well last week, but there is a chance that this is like that game against Miami 40 to nothing, you know, Flacco threw 15 times or whatever it was. So I love Macklin. I used him on my, my main team last time the Ravens had a game two weeks ago. Uh, I think he's a great play at this price uh, I think that he could get four targets, you know, if, if the Ravens are able, the Ravens want to run the ball. So if they score on defense or have a couple short fields for a couple touchdowns, I do think that there's a chance Macklin sees four targets um, in addition to the chance of him seeing 10. Whereas I think Crowder, like worst case, he sees eight targets this week. Um. Moving up to what I would consider some more of the popular plays likely to be owned, Michael Crabtree at 5,900, um, Sterling Shepard at 6,300. And then we'll get into kind of the Cooks and Diggs range, but I, I want to get your take on Sterling Shepard, his price. Uh, I think we both considered him just a stone lock last week. His price did not come up that much. The matchup remains good. Uh, is there any reason to be off Sterling Shepard this week? Uh, do you mind if we talk about a couple of these 5K guys real quickly first? Yeah, go ahead. Um, this is all, I think the 5k range is all tournaments and, uh, I'm going to throw out three guys and then, um, any thoughts that you have, I'm interested in the three guys are Kelvin Benjamin, which is a deep, deep tournament play, but I think no one will be on him. And the chargers essentially force teams to throw to the outside. That's how their whole defense is set up. We have no clue how comfortable Peterman is making those outside throws. We have no clue what he and Kelvin's connection looks like, but I think in tournaments, that's viable. Um, Deshaun Jackson is going to see eight targets as he sees every week. He's always a low floor, high ceiling play. So I think in tournaments, he's viable. And then Marvin Jones, um, like he saw 11 targets. I think it was 11 against the Steelers and 14 against the Ravens, if I have that right. Uh, And, you know, put up over 100 yards in both those games. I think like the Bears have a good defense. But if he sees 10 or 11 targets, I think he can put up like a six for 100. Um, so it's an, it's an iffy play. We don't know that the volume will be there and the matchup's not great, but I think he's viable in tourneys for upside. Yeah. Marvin Jones, 
Marvin Jones and Cam Bray both, I think, were like mega chalk last week and failed. And that's good enough reason for me to go back to them. Um, yeah, I, I mean, there's no reason to think Marvin Jones won't go back to the targets he was seeing before. On um, Kelvin Benjamin, I, I believe that Nathan Peterman targeted him like three times in like five minutes on the field or something crazy like that, uh, or four times or something like that last week. So uh, Kelvin Benjamin has for sure been installed as the number one receiver. Uh, matchup obviously is not great with the Chargers, but. I guess I could see that. Um, Deshaun Jackson, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how well he fits with with Ryan Fitzpatrick. The guy in the 5K range I'm most interested in is Keenan Allen. Uh, you know, he's 5,900, and we've seen his targets go down as they've added in Mike Williams, as they're still playing both Gates and Hunter Henry. But Keenan Allen's just, like, too talented of a guy to uh, be down at 5,900. And you never know when Philip Rivers is just going to, like, lock on to him. And all of a sudden, you turn around, and Keenan Allen has, like, 13 targets. So, that would be my favorite play in the 5K range, I think. Yeah, I'm a little concerned, and this is just like hypothesis. I'm a little concerned that maybe Keenan Allen has hit a wall coming back from ACL surgery. He had a, a disappointing line against Oakland, a disappointing line against the Giants before this run of tougher matchup. So I, I think that's a concern. Um, I definitely think he's obviously hugely in play in tournaments, but he's not a guy like typically 5,900 in a good matchup for Keenan Allen. We would just lock on, but – uh, I don't think he's a cash game play for me, but he does have the upside. Yeah, that 6K range. So um, I think Robert Woods is finally overpriced instead of underpriced. Uh, you know, we can rely on seven targets. I think he could see Xavier Rhodes, even though PFF doesn't have that as a shadow situation. Um, Shepard and Jarvis Landry are kind of the two guys in the 6K range who stand out to me the most. And I like I like Landry, even though I never really like Landry, uh, for this reason. I like him because – Tampa Bay, A, filters targets in the middle of the field, but B, they're, they're an undisciplined defense that is not great at tackling. So I think that the chances for Landry hitting his upside are higher than normal. Uh, if we go back through – actually, let me pull that up real quick. Um, if we go back through some of the lines that this defense has allowed to slot receivers, they allowed 10-138-1 to Larry Fitzgerald on 11 targets. They allowed a 554-0 to Sterling Shepard on only five targets and then five ninety eight zero on eight targets to Adam Thielen. So I think with Landry seeing 10 to 14 targets every game, he's going to catch 80% of his, his targets. I think he has a chance for more run after catch upside than normal. So I like him a lot. And then Sterling Shepard. Yeah. I mean, like that's who the giants have to throw to is Ingram and, and Shepard. We're going to see 10 plus targets again. Um, we saw his floor two weeks ago. We saw his ceiling last week. So I, I think anywhere in that range is the expectation. Uh, you didn't mention Michael Crabtree. Uh, I kind of tend to agree that this Patriots defense, although was they were really bad early in the year, doesn't mean they're going to stay bad. Uh, I assume you're not on Crabtree or Cooper. I'm totally fine with them because they have a good quarterback and a good offensive line against a bad Patriots pass rush. And they're the only two guys really get thrown to. Um, I just I think that expectations are lower than people are thinking. So they're not at the top of my list. Like I can't make an argument against them as like I can't say they're bad plays. I think there are other plays that are just better is kind of where I'm at. All right. Uh one of my favorite plays of this week, which I haven't seen a lot of other people on, is Stefan Diggs. Um, I think he has a way better matchup than people realize. Like, yeah, a lot of the raw data on the Rams pass defense is good but they've really had a faced a a brutally weak schedule like they have not faced a lot of good quarterbacks 
whatsoever. Not that's not to say that Case Keenum is an awesome quarterback, but I mean, Steph Diggs against Tremaine Johnson, like if Tremaine Johnson shadows, uh, which he has three times already this year on the perimeter, uh, Steph Diggs is going to eat him alive. So anytime Steph Diggs is not on the injury report, which he not is this week, anytime Steph Diggs um, has a good matchup, which I think he does this week, I think he's really firmly in play. Um, am I out of my mind? No. Uh, I, I mean, it's all sharp points. Like Nickel Roby Coleman has played really well in the slot. The Rams defense has done well against slot receivers. Like they've faced four different, they haven't faced a lot of great quarterbacks, but they faced four different really good slot receivers and held them all in check. And like you said, Tremaine Johnson has been bad. Wade Phillips said at the start of the year, he didn't think Tremaine Johnson was a fit for his defense. They brought him back on just another, what was it, franchise tag again, one-year deal again, and uh, basically to see how he does, and he's not done well. So I think it's a really sharp call. My concern is is volume. Like Diggs is seeing like six to eight targets. He's not seeing these 11-plus. Yeah. But I think in tournaments, you just you hypothesize, hey, this is a spot where he might see 11-plus, and if he does, he's going to absolutely smash. So uh, I think that, like, I don't think he's a lock at all, but I think that the upside is enormous. And I think there's definitely opportunity for him to see more targets than normal. Uh, we didn't mention Devonte Parker, who has um, maybe not quite as good a matchup as Jarvis Landry, but still a very, very good matchup. Devonte Parker's done a lot of his damage uh, in garbage time. I assume you like Jarvis Landry far more than Devonte Parker. Uh, part of it's the pricing difference uh, on Parker between FanDuel and DraftKings. Like he's severely underpriced on FanDuel and he's priced for targets. He's priced where he should be on DraftKings. My thinking is the Dolphins have scored the fewest points per game in the NFL. So, like, they take DraftKings taking Parker's targets and the match of them. And they've said this is where he should be priced. But the Dolphins' actual scoring expectations have been lower than that. So I think he's slightly overpriced. I think he's a great play. And far as like as far as raw points and projections, I think he's a little overpriced. So. Uh, that's kind of pulling me off of him. That's really not a great reason because I still like him, but uh, just the price kind of throws me a little bit. Uh, Brandon Cooks is a guy I think we should talk about because we have a condensed target share situation. No Chris Hogan. Uh, Philip Dorsett is kind of a non-factor in this offense when he is on the field. Um, Brandon Cooks has quietly seen, I think like at least seven targets in four straight games and like averaging 8.2 over his last five. Like he's getting volume for a guy who's 6,600. Now he gets this awesome matchup uh, against the Raiders. Uh, Brandon Cooks is not to be a guy that I would play in cash. And I, maybe I won't this week either. I'm not sure yet, but uh, I think he has a higher floor than usual in this spot. Do you agree? I do agree. So he's got four red zone targets, two targets inside the 10. That's the big concern. But I think we see, uh, you know, another 8 to 11 targets again. Um, Like you said, Dorsett's not really on the field to catch passes. This will be his third start. He hasn't topped three targets in a game. So I think that we see another 9, 10, 11 targets for Cooks. Makes me like him quite a bit. Uh, He probably needs a long touchdown in order to to really post a tourney winning score or really justify a salary. But I, I think that the floor is way higher than people will assume. And if he scores a long touchdown, then you're sitting great in the money in, in cash and tourneys. All right. There are, uh, there are four guys in the 7K range I think people are going to play. Tyreek Hill, Adam Thielen, who we already talked about, has, I think, a tougher matchup than people realize. Uh, Michael Thomas, who 
Uh, also has a tough matchup on the perimeter, but we might see him in the slot some. And then Mike Evans, who has an awesome matchup, but has Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback in the 7,900. Um, do you have a standout play in the 7K range? So for me, it goes Evans pretty far above the rest of them. Uh, point being, this is, this is you know, the, the Brandon Marshall setup all over again. We've seen it, you know, it's, Cutler has Devontae Parker now. Fitzpatrick is going to have Mike Evans. So two years ago, Brandon Marshall's lowest target, target count was seven. He had 11 games of double-digit targets. He scored 14 touchdowns. I think that this is same sort of situation. I think Fitzpatrick just throws it up to Evans 10, 12, 14 times. Uh, so I like Evans quite a bit, totally comfortable with that price tag, even with Fitzpatrick Tyree kill. Like, I guess I'll have to look at ownership projections. I was hoping he'd be low owned because a dude who sees six to eight targets is so overpriced at 7,100. It's ludicrous. Um, if he's going to see 15, 20% ownership, that's tough to pull the trigger on in tournaments because he could post eight points. I do think this is a week that he actually posts 25 to 30. So uh, from like being value conscious, I cannot justify his price tag at his targets unless ownership's low. But I do think he, I, like, I think this week sets up great for him to hit. And then um, Thomas and Thielen, they're good enough receivers that I'll, I'll never argue against them, even in tough spots, but I won't use them this week. Yeah, Tyreek Hill is going to be popular because people are going to do a lot of Alex Smith stacks and they'll be like, I'm going to play Alex Smith, Kelsey, Tyreek, or here, I'll make a team with Alex Smith and just Tyreek. And I'll make a team with, uh, you know, Tyreek and Kareem Hunt or whatever, you know, and, and even though uh, we know that Tyreek Hill's target, he hasn't, he hasn't seen more than eight targets in a game all year. Uh, and he's 7,100. So like, even though we know that a lot of everybody just sees him doing these crazy fluky things, like catching the ball at the 50 yard line with one second left and getting into the end zone and giving up the peace sign and everything. So I'm sure he's going to do it again, but yeah, I'm not going to be on uh, Tyreek at 7,100. Um, anything else at wide receiver we did not hit? Yeah, I'm going to mention uh, two guys. One is Golden Tate. I think he's a fine play over the middle. Uh, not a great play. I like Landry more. I like Crowder more for raw point projections at way less in salary. But Tate's in play. Uh, and then Larry Fitzgerald, I think, is a really good tournament stacking partner with Blaine Gabbert primarily because the price is so ludicrous. Like you cannot, you cannot pay 6,900 for a slot receiver with Blaine Gabbert throwing to him, which I think will really lower ownership. And like, look, Fitz is going to see 10 plus targets. He's great after the catch. He's playing Houston. So I think that Fitz makes a lot of sense in tournaments. I'll definitely have at least one uh, Gabbert Fitz stack in at least one high dollar tournament this week. All right. Uh, we need to move to tight end where even if you're just like a casual DK player, I think pretty much everybody now is aware of this uh, Viking uh, Giants versus tight end situation of giving up a touchdown to every tight end that they faced this year, giving up the most uh, DK points per game to the tight end position this year. And this has been going on for like two or three years. Um, and now they face Travis Kelsey off a of bye. Uh, the problem for me is like, I don't think the projection between Gronkowski and Kelsey is really that different. Um, I think they're pretty similar. So they're, Kelsey is $100 more than Gronk. I think Gronk's going to be popular too, though, man. Like I think Kelsey will be like 30% and Gronk like 20 to 25. I don't think people are like, oh, Gronk's the, the best tournament play because nobody's going to play him because they're playing Kelsey. Well, a lot of people are going to play Gronk too. Uh, a lot of people are going to play Gronk over Kelsey. Um, so talk to me about Gronk and Kelsey and how you feel about each of them. 
I think it's 60-40 leaning toward Gronk as a better play. Uh, here's my reasons. Gronk is averaging 7.9 targets per game, where, whereas Kelsey's averaging 7.6. Kelsey's average depth of target is, I believe, 8.8 yards downfield. Gronk is like 11.7. So he's seeing uh, slightly more targets farther downfield. Red zone usage is the same. Matchup isn't that different. So I think Gronk is a slightly better play. The one thing that could pull me toward – and I, I'm – probably going to end up using both of them, to be honest. Like that's where I've been since the start of the week. If I just use one, I think it'll be, I think it'll be Gronk. The thing that might pull me toward Kelsey is just the Patriots have more weapons that could score. The Patriots, um, I think the like actual point expectations for Chiefs and Patriots is similar. Um, you know, historical red zone usage throughout this season is similar between Kelsey and Gronk, but just the chances of, like some random guy scoring on the Chiefs is lower than some random guy scoring on the Patriots. So uh, I think it's really close between the two. I think they're both among the top plays when you look at their targets, their matchup, their expectations, and comparing them to wide receivers in the same price range. I, I love both guys. Uh, I also think Evan Ingram is right behind them. The Giants don't score as many touchdowns, but Ingram's seeing more targets than either of them. I think Ingram's right there with them. I think if he's going to see way lower ownership in tournaments, he's an awesome tourney play. So those are, and really there's not a ton below these guys that I like. So it's going to be one or two of these three for me. What are you, what are you thinking among these three? I have not played around with lineups that had both Gronk and Kelsey, but it's certainly an interesting idea. Um, yeah, because I haven't found like three running backs I really want to play or four wide receivers I really want to play. So it's certainly an interesting idea. And that just adds to like how weird of a week this is that like three of the best like raw plays on the week are all tight ends. Like you normally like never see in high price tight ends. Like you normally never see that. Like we're always, you know, down paying like 3K, 4K for tight ends. So just so, so weird. Yeah. And, and I'm never going to argue against Evan Ingram. I mean, dude is just a baller and and one of two guys that Eli Manning has to throw to um so yeah I, I mean I don't have a problem with any of them there's nothing bad I can say about all three it's really such a strange thing the one guy that I, I would be um okay or I guess two guys I would be okay going down to um or maybe even three guys um Jared Cook uh, has been has had such a large role in this Raiders offense um if you think that Derek Carr's gonna play well I think Cook will be involved I know the matchup is brutal for Vernon Davis but he's done nothing but produce anytime Jordan Reed has been out. Um, and then Cam Braid, I mentioned earlier, like this Miami team is just as bad as the Giants against tight ends. And nobody's going to talk about Cam Braid because he burned everybody last week. Uh, I think there's some stats out there that Ryan Fitzpatrick does not like to throw to the tight end. Um, maybe that's true, but I think Cam Braid coming back to him in tournaments makes a lot of sense. Um, any thoughts on those three guys? Yeah, I'll throw in one other guy, uh, two other guys, actually. So Braid, I'm not that interested, and I, it's not so much about Fitzpatrick's usage of the tight end with the Jets, because as you and I both know, that Chan Gailey offense didn't even have a tight end on the field most of the time. Uh, and I think that if people are pointing to that, that's you know basically misuse of information. Uh, but I do think it's notable that he only threw to break three times last week without Mike Evans on the field. Like that's enough to make me not want to go there. I, I mean, I guess in tournaments, yeah, but like I'm kind of projecting another three to four targets just because you bring back Mike Evans. Why would Fitzpatrick suddenly start throwing a break? Um, And then, yeah, I I think cook is really interesting. I think that 
I think the Raiders are going to pile up 400 yards of offense here. The issue is scoring. And Cook has uh, more 100-yard games in his last three outings than Crabtree and Cooper have combined on the entire season. So I think as far as yardage, Cook could get it. It's hard to pay 4,800 when Ingram's 6K. Um, Vernon Davis, same thing, 4,600, Ingram's 6K. So that's really my thing there, tough matchup. Uh, the other two guys are Hunter Henry, who is just such a, a puke play at this point. But if he does see seven targets again, he'd be priced at 5K at that usage. And then Tyler Croft, I was surprised that I liked him. I started writing up the the Bengals-Broncos game as just a complete fade in every spot and then started realizing, you know, who are the Bengals going to throw to? It's going to be Croft. Um, he had a bad matchup last week. Most people overlooked how good Tennessee's been against tight ends. Uh, last week's dud was not unexpected. I think at only 2,900 and super low ownership, Croft will get about six targets. I think he's actually an interesting tournament option, as, as weird as that is with Gronk and Kelsey on the board. Yeah, if you pay down a tight end, you'll be unique right away. The only other option I have uh, for cheap, I, I'm fine with Hunter Henry, um, is Ben Watson, who is 2,800 and um, has be, is probably a good – Projection for five, six, seven targets. Um, so, yeah, that's about it. Anything else at tight end? No, shout out, shout out to you for your Austin Hooper call last week. That was really sharp. Austin Hooper, yeah. Austin Hooper's the man. Um, okay, It would have it worked really well if Garrett Selleck didn't score the yeah. same as Austin Hooper. <laughs> you know what I mean? If the Giants weren't just so apathetic on yeah, defense. It's like, oh, it's, it's, it's so sharp. You played Austin Hooper. Well, everybody who played Garrett Selleck got there anyway. So didn't well, I was, uh, well, I watched that touchdown live and was just like, you know, obviously I didn't have Selleck, and so I'm just hoping he doesn't – all I need is Selleck to not score a long touchdown. Right. And the lack of effort that the Giants made trying to tackle him was just mind-blowing as he was running down the field. So tilting. Um, all right, let's get to defense. Uh, I think everybody will agree that by far the best raw projection is the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, against Deshaun Kaiser. A possible win, possible uh, precipitation on top of it. Is it worth paying 4K? for the Jacksonville Jaguars on this week. I think it is. And that was something I had to struggle with last week as like a sharp players. If we put out a roster with a high price defense, people look at it and shake their heads. They're like, what is Levitan doing? What is JM doing with a high price defense? These guys are supposed to be value conscious. I had to fight that last week with the, the Rams are just realizing like, if I play the Rams, people are going to be wondering what I'm doing wrong. Um, but sometimes just defensive points are really reliable. And I think this is another such spot with value on the, on the slate. I think it just makes a lot of sense to go to the Jags. Uh, as I always say, I don't dig into defense too deeply till Saturday. So, so far I've had almost all Jags uh, on the rosters I've messed around with. I've had a few Ravens just because the 600 made a difference, but um, I do think that the Jags are by far the best play we can make a case for some other teams, but that's where I'd like to go if I can. Yeah, an interesting pivot at that top end, I think, is the Broncos, who uh, defense should be in a bounce-back spot. I've had some real – face some awesome offenses lately now, get this awful Bengals offensive line at home. So I think the Broncos' defense as a pivot play is interesting. And then also another leverage play could be the Chiefs. Uh, everybody wants to play all the Chiefs' offensive players. They might not play the Chiefs' defense, uh, which is against Eli Manning and another bad – offensive line but I think one that everybody wants to click now is the Chargers I mean nobody's heard of Nathan Peterman they think that he's a character on Seinfeld they know that the Chargers have uh, a really good pass rush Uh, I think that the Chargers might be 
uh, right there with the Jaguars for the most owned defense. Uh, how do you feel about that? I like them more on FanDuel where they're like 4,200 or something. Um, but yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with attacking Tom Savage with the Cardinals. I think that with the Broncos and Chiefs, using them as kind of living in the past in, in so far as like the Broncos without Wade Phillips have not looked like the Broncos defense. Um, the Chiefs are like bottom five in DVOA against the run and the pass. So, and they're not getting sacks this year. Like I, I'm a little concerned about both those. I think they're really sharp. I've played around both both them, but I haven't been able to get comfortable with either defense this week. Uh, the only other one I have here is the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, I actually think they're be- they're a better unit, a more aggressive unit than people realize. They get to face Brock Osweiler. It is in Denver. Do you have any interest in the Bengals? No, I think that's a really interesting tournament play. As always, you know, a defensive touchdown, something like that, you can't predict. You can't predict. Uh, you know, it's more possible to predict sacks and interceptions um, and those can lead to defensive touchdowns. I think the Bengals can get sacks and interceptions here, which, you know, doesn't give them the same expectation as the Jags, but I think it's closer than people think. All right. We are going to get to stacks now. Um, everybody needs their stacks. We're going to do one contrarian. We're going to do one uh, chalky stack. Why don't you go first? Yeah, if, if anyone wants to join me on contrarian, roll with uh, Blaine Gabbert and Larry Fitzgerald. I think that genuinely has like 50-point upside between the two of them. Not that it'll hit, but I think it's an excellent tourney play at what should be low ownership. All right, I will go for my contrarian with Case Keenum and Steph Diggs. People aren't going to play Case Keenum because they're hearing that he might get benched. Well, if you're playing a tournament um, and the guy gets benched, you were probably dead anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Um, and I just like Steph Diggs so much. If you think Steph Diggs is going to go off, Case Keenum I will probably right be there, right with him. So uh, Right be go. there. That was a new one. Yeah. <laughs> you always get these catchphrases. We'll just pretend like that's one of them. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Uh, I'll go uh, Tom Brady and, and Rob Gronkowski as a chalky stack. Uh, I think that you could throw in Rex Burkhead, you could also throw in Deion Lewis, and if Lewis scores on the ground, you get all the Patriots touchdowns. Um, but Brady to Gronk is is definitely a solid play in cash and turnings. Yeah, um, I think that Brady and Rex Burkhead gives you a pretty good chance. Assuming Mike Gillisley is inactive, gives you a pretty good chance at all of the um, Patriots touchdowns. And then I also think Alex Smith paired with Kareem Hunt gives you a chance at all of the Chiefs touchdowns. So sometimes I like to think about things that way. I mean, Cream Hunt and Rex Burkhead uh, both correlate positively uh, with their quarterbacks. Um, so I think that's at least interesting from a perspective of, hey, if you think Kansas City or you think New England's going to score six touchdowns, uh, let's try to get them all. Um, all right, that is going to do it for this episode of the quote-unquote expert, quote-unquote roundtable. Uh, JM is now boarding a flight. Um He's leaving his canoe and like his bong behind and he is going to uh, the Roto Grinders party in Nashville. Uh, I am not. I will be here. Uh, Where does canoe come from? What is this persona we've built for me? You don't have a canoe? (laughs) I don't have a canoe. Wow. See, that's shocking. I just assumed you did. (laughs) Continue. (laughs) All right. For Jerry, for JM, I am Adam. Good luck, everybody, this weekend, and have fun at the RG party.